to Woman by Definition. This episode I'm joined by Stephanie Davis Arai. She is a communication skills trainer with over 20 years experience. She works with parents and schools. She's the author of Communication with Kids um, and has contributed to chapters in numerous books on transgender children. She's spoken at events around the UK, including in the House of Commons and the House of Lords. She founded the organisation Transgender Trend in 2015 and has produced a school guide supporting gender diverse and trans identified students in schools in 2018. Uh, She was shortlisted for the John Maddox Prize for that endeavour. More interestingly, over the last uh, few days, she has produced this incredible report examining the Stonewall guidance to schools and I think this is an absolute must listen. And don't forget to like, share and subscribe. Hello, um, welcome back, Stephanie davis Why You were my first interview. Hi, nice to be back. <laughs> so you run Transgender Trend. Uh, if we could, in fact, you are Transgender Trend. Um, if we could, if you could give people a brief caption uh, synopsis of what what you do. Okay, so uh, we started in two thousand and fifteen just to challenge what was going on even then uh, um, in terms of how children were being treated. We we looked at we were, we do look at two areas: health and education. So which which really tie together. So what's happening? with giving children puberty blockers and what children are being taught in schools. The two things are so linked together. Um, so we look at both areas and we have been um, challenging in our writing, in our lobbying, in our, um, we work behind the scenes a lot, increasingly. Um, but when we started, my we started because I saw in the press that there was no challenge, there was no voice in the press that challenged this story that um, brave children were coming out as transgender and um, and their brave parents who supported them. So I thought we need a voice in the press for a start. So I'd say that needs, I need to be an organization to do that. Um, and that worked fairly quickly, actually. Um, so I was, you know, I was on Newsnight in 2016 with Susie Green. You know, it's it, it, um, so that um, I think we established that voice of opposition that wasn't coming from a religious point of view or a political point of view, just from a, a purely safeguarding and, for me, duty of care, our duty of care to children. Um, and the other the other reason was that all of the information online that parents were going and finding was from um, lobby groups and so it was very political ideological sort of material you must affirm your your child you must you know if, my, if your boy says i'm a girl you must affirm that he is a girl and um so i wanted to, to provide an alternative resource for parents so that parents could find um, information that was um, fact-based, research-based, and, and and just gave them the facts. So that was about both the um, the, the historical aspect of this, the um, the uh, development of the 
global transgender rights movement, how that's affected it, but also the treatments and the uh, actual effects of the treatments, which are um, very invasive and irreversible treatments, and they're experimental. So it was to, to put all the facts in one easy place to access for parents and to provide a place for parents to come and find out some real information. Okay, if we can skip really quickly, fast forward, be, uh, not discounting any of your work, and we, we'll go into it after, uh, after this and the extended audio version. So if we talk about the report that you've just um, released, focusing on Stonewall for the last five years, um, why did you specifically look at Stonewall? Um, why are they in schools? But why did you specifically mm. look at Stonewall? And can you tell people the findings, like what they should be concerned about if Stonewall has uh, anything okay. to do with their schools? Yeah, so this is the um, Stonewall report. Um, I did this because there are two main, well, three actually, um, we're still waiting for the Equality and Human Rights Commission National Schools Guidance, uh, which was due in March 2018. Um, I'm a stakeholder in that working group. That's been an ongoing, very long process of delays. Uh, still on that. Um, meanwhile, there are two real major organisations, there's all sorts in Brighton, who produced a transgender schools toolkit. Initially, the first one is in 2014, and a version of that toolkit has gone all over the UK, except for Cornwall, they've got their own. But um, most authorities throughout the UK have used the all sorts toolkit to base their own trans inclusion school toolkits on. In fact, most of them are copy and paste. Um, so that is one influence. In, in, in the absence of any national, new updated national guidance, that's what schools are using. And the other UK-wide influence on schools is Stonewall. So um, safe schools are doing brilliant work um, challenging, legally challenging local authorities, which is great, exactly what we wanted. Parents challenging their local authorities on the school's guidance they're using. Um, but it remains that we have these two other uh, sort of um, dangers. There's the EHRC guidance, we still don't know what that's going to say, and the Stonewall. My guess uh, is that the EHRC eventual guidance will not be terrible. I don't think it can be now, but I think it will leave things a little bit open. I think it will leave a gap. Um, it'll be not so bad that we can really challenge it, but it will leave a gap. And that gap is where Stonewall will still get in because Stonewall, when, you know, if you've got a child who's identifying as trans at your school or you or you want to have your tick in the inclusion diversity box you go to Stonewall and you you know they have their school champion scheme and if you want to be one of those really good schools who's really on it you'd get Stonewall in so I think they are the organization that we need to really shine a light on and say what have they been teaching um, in schools since 2015 and is it correct is it legally correct is it biologically correct 
the information that's been given to, to pupils. And I think the report, what the report finds is a resounding no. So then we get to um, issues such as the Department for Education have funded Stonewall, they signpost Stonewall on two of their statutory schools guidance documents. The, the latest one on the relationships and sex education guidance and the explaining the Equality Act guidance, they signpost Stonewall, uh, they funded them and they are a Stonewall diversity champion. And my view is that no, you know, Department of Education should not be, um, or should be impartial and not be um, uh, aligned with one um, very political lobbying group who are lobbying for particular things such as taking away single sex exemptions in the Equality Act. So that is a political, they're a political group and they're going into schools and they're changing policies, you know, which are sort of, le well, they are legal, legally protected um, single sex facilities, for example, and telling schools that, that it is a requirement of the Equality Act that trans kids can use the facilities that match their gender, which means that boys can use girls' toilets without the girl's knowledge or consent. Uh, so that's false. That's not in the Equality Act. I think schools are getting misinformation. And if an organisation is providing advice and guidance for schools, which is legal advice, then it, well, one, it, it has to be correct. But if, if they are advising that the school changes their policies on that advice, then they're doing political work in schools and that's not right that no no special interest group should be doing that and as for what they teach children it is a very you know the gender identity model that they teach children it's a very controversial political ideological model and again that's in breach of the education act 1996 which, which prevents and forbids political indoctrination of children in schools. Wow. One of the things that really stuck out from one of the sort of headlines from the report was specifically regarding children with special educational needs mm. and disabilities. Um, yeah. I think it's so sinister that I think perhaps people will find it difficult to believe that what is actually recommended by Stonewall um, is is the sort of uh, culture that they're trying to cultivate in sort of with specifically with autistic or children with autism pardon me um could you talk about that because i think it's so unbelievably sinister if you if you read um <clears throat> the new stonewall schools guidance so that's an introduction to supporting so-called lgbt children that replaces oh it's only published in march and it replaces a guide of the same name which was published in 2015 and that was their first guide and it was written with gendered intelligence and it had I think about 17 pages just on trans kids um, so that's gone now it's gone from the website and it's been replaced with this new guide published in March and there's the whole new section on children with SEND um, and it's heavily um, focusing on children with autism 
so that's completely new and yes when i when i first read it through i couldn't believe what i was reading because you what you're reading is uh, you're looking at the cohort we're most worried about and and not just not i don't mean just us i mean i mean you know um publicly there has been a lot of concern expressed about the very high proportion of autistic children being referred to the tavistock clinic and why that might be we've heard huge doubts and concerns from professionals from um uh, clinicians who left the tavistock because of their worries nobody knows why it is we can certainly have some you know um educated guesses as to why but but the fact is nobody knows and there isn't any research um to base any approach on and stonewall have um advised on a very extreme approach right down to you should be looking for messages pre-verbal messages from children from children who are pre-verbal or children who are non-verbal and, and what we've got to think about what that actually means a pre-verbal message it could be a girl playing with trucks and teachers are being encouraged i think it's it's incredibly dangerous to approach any child um with a disability or not with a set agenda you're looking for an, a gender identity and you'll find one if you interpret a child's behavior through the lens of gender identity you're going to be saying oh a girl she's playing with trucks therefore she might really be a boy because that's what gender identity means that's what look you know a child's gender identity we need to be really clear about what this means you're saying that a girl is literally a boy that's what it means um so so it's a really really extreme um way of looking at children and children's behavior anyway you couldn't get much more extreme than that but for but to look at a child you know that to listen properly to a child you have to clear your mind of any agenda of any you know assumptions or you know no, no matter what your specialist area of interest is you have to get rid of it and listen to that child because otherwise what we're doing is we are putting adult interpretations onto a child's words and behavior and that's incredibly dangerous and we should know that by now it's quite incredible isn't it i mean it, my one of my children goes to a catholic school and listed in their new um sex and relationship education is stonewall as a as a reference and i'm just thinking come on if the catholics <laughs> if the catholics yes. can't yeah. see it um uh, there's pretty much no help for anybody else if i can ask what can parents do because i constantly tell people that as parents they're not going to lose their jobs if they go into school and talk about it um they're not going to lose their friends it's not like being a kid at school objecting um so i do think in the when it comes to your kids education you do have the most power to speak out about this so what would you recommend they do stephanie um, well, one, I think, um, go and have a look at our school's resources page. So resources on the website, on drop down schools resources. Um, I, I think that if you want to challenge 
what your school is doing, it's good to have an alternative. Um, so we've got um, our alternative schools guide. Now these, these are free, please donate because they cost a lot of money and um, we, we depend on individual donations. We're not funded by the um, right-wing evangelical Christians <laughs> in the US. We don't know any. Um, what we get accused of but we're not we depend on individual donations but in here i think it's not just a, a, a way of helping all children including those who identify as transgender and it's really down to working on um breaking stereotypes for you know for all children but it also it includes a legal section but it also includes an evidence section and i think this is important for, for teachers um that they they that they see the evidence of actually what's happening and what will happen to these children if they're encouraged down this path then the encouragement is and this comes very much from these lobby groups that if they don't if if parents don't support them to get um medical interventions then they're more likely to commit suicide now there's no evidence to support that, but parents are very worried about that. And a lot of schools will say, well, there's a really high suicide rate we have to look. But actually all, all of that is, um, well, I'd say propaganda. There is, there is I'm, I'm not denying that there are um, a lot of um, mental health problems. There's a lot of, um, within this cohort but we don't know why that is all we know is that there are a lot of comorbidities pre-existing when children come out as transgender so we really need to do a lot more work on finding out why that is and why it seems to be the most vulnerable children who are then identifying as trans transgender uh, but anyway all the information is in here you can order them in the shop on the website uh, we've also got safeguarding we've got other uh, other documents i think another that really useful one and again this is on the school's resource page is this document and it's equality law and schools guidance so this goes through questions from parents do i have to accept that my daughter must share toilets no you don't and this is why so this is about five pages on what it says in the equality act what it says in the Gender Recognition Act. So I go, it goes through um, single sex schools, sports, overnight accommodation, um, everything. Very simply laid out. That it, that's, that's the law as it stands. So I think that's a useful thing to download and take into your school. Um, and so schools need to be shown that there's, there's another way. There is another view on this that they're not hearing about. And so they, I think schools just quite naively think this is, this is lovely, it's all about diversity and inclusion. And don't realize that actually um, there is another view and that um, it's a reasonable view. It's, a, it's not a bigoted view. It's not as, as we get painted as being the sort of religious right no it's not it's, it's it's ordinary people and it's it's just common sense that you, uh, you you know you show caution and you don't go around changing your policies that will put other children at risk and create safeguarding risks for all children um and you know contact safe schools see if there are other parents in your area because 
that's the thing really you need a group if you if you're together in a group of parents you've got a lot more power and you know we've been seeing parents have really got power so use it there's a lot of people who and parents who believe the same as you a lot of people dare not speak out because they are painted as bigots well that's perfectly concise and uh, i do implore everybody to go to transgender trend and uh, donate and get a copy of that that guidance i think it's in particular the equality act guidance because that is so routinely misrepresented by these groups yeah so um thank you very much stephanie for all your thank work you. <laughs> i'm going to record if there's yeah. anything you don't like that you've said you can just um say i don't like it and yeah. then i can edit it out. Yeah, okay yeah um, you know if yeah. we if we go into crazy territory or if i ask a question that's is not going to paint you in a very yes. good light or whatever okay anyway. yeah so um welcome back stephanie davis you were my first interview hi nice to be back <laughs> so you run transgender trend uh if we could in fact you are transgender trend um if we could if you could give people a brief caption uh, synopsis of what what you do okay so uh, we started in 2015 just to challenge what was going on even then uh, um in terms of how children were being treated we we looked at we we do look at two areas health and education so which which really tie together so what's happening with giving children puberty blockers and what children are being taught in schools the two things are so linked together um, so we look at both areas and we have been um, challenging in our writing in our lobbying in our um, we work behind the scenes a lot increasingly um, but when we started my we started because I saw in the press that there was no challenge, there was no voice in the press that challenged this story that um, brave children were coming out as transgender and, um, and their brave parents who supported them. So I thought we need a voice in the press for a start. So, it, so that needs, I need to be an organisation to do that. Um, and that worked fairly quickly, actually. Um, so I was, you know, I was on Newsnight in 2016 with Susie Green. You know, it, it, it um, so that um, I think we established that voice of opposition that wasn't coming from a religious point of view or a political point of view, just from a, a purely safeguarding and, for me, duty of care, our duty of care to children. Um, and the other the other reason was that all of the information online that parents were going and finding was from um lobby groups and so it was very political ideological sort of material you must affirm your your child you must you know if, my, if your voice is i'm a girl you must affirm that he is a girl and um so i wanted to, to provide an alternative resource for parents so that parents could find um, information that was um, fact-based, research-based, and, and and just gave them the facts. So that was about yeah. both the, um, the the historical aspect of this, the um, the uh, development of the 
global transgender rights movement, how that's affected it, but also the treatments and the uh, actual effects of the treatments which are um, very invasive and irreversible treatments and they're experimental. So it was to, to put all the facts in one easy place to access for parents and to provide a place for parents to come and find out some real information. Okay, if we can skip really quickly, fast forward, be, uh, not discounting any of your work, and we, we'll go into it after, uh, after this in a, the extended audio version. So if we talk about the report that you've just um, released, focusing on Stonewall for the last five years, um, why did you specifically look at Stonewall? Um, why are they in schools? But why did you specifically mm. look at Stonewall? And can you tell people the findings, like what they should be concerned about if Stonewall has uh, anything okay. to do with their schools? Yeah, so this is the um, Stonewall report. Um, I did this because there are two main, well, three actually, um, we're still waiting for the Equality and Human Rights Commission National Schools Guidance, uh, which was due in March 2018. Um, I'm a stakeholder in that working group. That's been an ongoing, very long process of delays. Uh, still on that. Um, meanwhile, there are two real major organisations, there's all sorts in Brighton, who produced a transgender schools toolkit initially the first one is in 2014 and a version of that toolkit has gone all over the uk except for cornwall they've got their own but um most authorities throughout the uk have used the all sorts toolkit to base their own trans inclusion school toolkits on in fact most of them are copy and paste um so that is one influence in, in, in the absence of any national, new updated national guidance, that's what schools are using. And the other UK-wide influence on schools is Stonewall. So um, safe schools are doing brilliant work, um, challenging, legally challenging local authorities, which is great, exactly what we wanted, parents, challenging their local authorities on the school's guidance they're using. Um, but it remains that we have these two other uh, sort of um, dangers. There's the EHRC guidance. We still don't know what that's going to say. And the Stonewall. My guess uh, is that the EHRC eventual guidance will not be terrible. I don't think it can be now but I think it will leave things a little bit open. I think it will leave a gap. Um, it'll be not so bad that we can really challenge it, but it will leave a gap. And that gap is where Stonewall will still get in because Stonewall, when, you know, if you've got a child who's identifying as trans at your school or you, or you want to have your tick in the inclusion diversity box you go to stonewall and you you know they have their school champion scheme and if you want to be one of those really good schools who's really on it you'd get stonewall in so i think they are the organization that we need to really shine a light on and say what have they been teaching um in schools since 2015 and is it correct is it legally correct is it biologically correct 
the information that's been given to, to pupils. And I think the report, what the report finds is a resounding no. So then we get to um, issues such as the Department for Education have funded Stonewall, they signpost Stonewall on two of their statutory schools guidance documents, the, the latest one on the relationships and sex education guidance and the explaining the Equality Act guidance, they signpost Stonewall, uh, they funded them and they are a Stonewall diversity champion. And my view is that no, you know, Department of Education should not be, um, or should be impartial and not be um, uh, aligned with one um, very political lobbying group who are lobbying for particular things such as taking away single sex exemptions in the Equality Act. So that is a political, they're a political group and they're going into schools and they're changing policies, you know, which are sort of, le well, they are legal, legally protected um, single sex facilities, for example, and telling schools that, that it is a requirement of the Equality Act that trans kids can use the facilities that match their gender, which means that boys can use girls' toilets without the girl's knowledge or consent. Uh, so that's false, that's not in the Equality Act. I think schools are getting misinformation. And if an organization is providing advice and guidance for schools, which is legal advice, then it, well one, it, it has to be correct. But if, if they are advising that the school changes their policies on that advice, then they're doing, political work in schools and that's not right that no no special interest group should be doing that and as for what they teach children it is a very you know the gender identity model that they teach children it's a very controversial political ideological model and again that's in breach of the education act 1996 which which prevents and forbids political indoctrination of children in schools. Wow. One of the things that really stuck out from one of the sort of headlines from the report was specifically regarding children with special educational needs mm. and disabilities. Um, yeah. I think it's so sinister that I think perhaps people will find it difficult to believe that what is actually recommended by Stonewall um, is is the sort of uh, culture that they're trying to cultivate in sort of with specifically with autistic or children with autism pardon me um could you talk about that because i think it's so unbelievably sinister if you if you read um <clears throat> the new stonewall schools guidance so that's an introduction to supporting so-called lgbt children that replaces oh it's only published in march and it replaces a guide of the same name which was published in 2015 and that was their first guide and it was written with gendered intelligence and it had I think about 17 pages just on trans kids um, so that's gone now it's gone from the website and it's been replaced with this new guide published in March and there's the whole new section on children with SEND um, and it's heavily um, focusing on children with autism 
so that's completely new and yes when i when i first read it through i couldn't believe what i was reading because you what you're reading is uh, you're looking at the cohort we're most worried about and and not just not i don't mean just us i mean i mean you know um publicly there has been a lot of concern expressed about the very high proportion of autistic children being referred to the Tavistock clinic and why that might be we've heard huge doubts and concerns from professionals from um, uh, clinicians who left the Tavistock because of their worries nobody knows why it is we can certainly have some you know um educated guesses as to why but but the fact is nobody knows and there isn't any research um to base any approach on and stonewall have um advised on a very extreme approach right down to you should be looking for messages pre-verbal messages from children from children who are pre-verbal or children who are non-verbal and, and what we've got to think about what that actually means a pre-verbal message it could be a girl playing with trucks and teachers are being encouraged i think it's it's incredibly dangerous to approach any child um with a disability or not with a set agenda you're looking for and a gender identity and you'll find one if you interpret a child's behavior through the lens of gender identity you're going to be saying oh a girl she's playing with trucks therefore she might really be a boy because that's what gender identity means that's what look you know a child's gender identity we need to be really clear about what this means you're saying that a girl is literally a boy that's what it means um so, so it's a really, really extreme um, way of looking at children and children's behaviour anyway. You, you couldn't get much more extreme than that. But, for, but to look at a child, you know that to listen properly to a child, you have to clear your mind of any agenda, of any, you know, assumptions or, you know, no, no matter what your specialist area of interest is, you have to get rid of it and listen to that child because otherwise what we're doing is we are putting adult interpretations onto a child's words and behavior and that's incredibly dangerous and we should know that by now it's quite incredible isn't it i mean it, my one of my children goes to a catholic school and listed in their new um sex and relationship education is stonewall as a as a reference and I'm just thinking, come on, if the Catholics, <laughs> if the Catholics yes. can't yes. see it, um, there's pretty much no help for anybody else. Uh, so just on a, a final one, just on this, um, the, the brief interview, if I can ask, what can parents do? Because I constantly tell people that as parents, they're not going to lose their jobs if they go into school and talk about it. Um, they're not going to lose their friends. It's not like being a kid at school objecting. Um, so I do think in the when it comes to your kids' education, you do have the most power to speak out about this. So what would you recommend they do, Stephanie? Um, well, one, I think, um, go and have a look at our school's resources page. So resources on the website, on drop down schools resources. 
Um, I, I think that if you want to challenge what your school is doing, it's good to have an alternative. Um, so we've got um, our alternative schools guide. Now these, these are free. Please donate because they cost a lot of money and um, we, we depend on individual donations. We're not funded by the um, right wing evangelical Christians <laughs> in the US. We don't know any. Um, it's what we get accused of, but we're not. We depend on individual donations. But in here, I think it's not just a, it, it, a way of helping all children, including those who identify as transgender. And it's really down to working on um, breaking stereotypes for you know for all children but it also it includes a legal section but it also includes an evidence section and I think this is important for, for teachers um, that they, they that they see the evidence of actually what's happening and what will happen to these children if they're encouraged down this path then the encouragement is and this comes very much from these lobby groups that if they don't if, if parents don't support them to get um, medical interventions, then they're more likely to commit suicide. Now, there's no evidence to support that, but parents are very worried about that. And a lot of schools will say, well, there's a really high suicide rate we have to look. But actually, all, all of that is, um, well, I'd say propaganda. There is, there is I'm, I'm not denying that there are um, a lot of um, mental health problems. There's a lot of, um, within this cohort but we don't know why that is all we know is that there are a lot of comorbidities pre-existing when children come out as transgender so we really need to do a lot more work on finding out why that is and why it seems to be the most vulnerable children who are then identifying as trans transgender uh, but anyway all the information is in here you can order them in the shop on the website uh, we've also got safeguarding, we've got other uh, other documents. I think another that really useful one, and again, this is on the school's resource page, is this document, and it's Equality Law and Schools Guidance. So this goes through questions from parents. Do I have to accept that my daughter must share toilets? No, you don't. And this is why. So this is about five pages on what it says in the Equality Act, what it says in the Gender Recognition Act. So I go, it goes through um, single sex schools, sports, overnight accommodation, um, everything. Very simply laid out. That it, that's, that's the law as it stands. So I think that's a useful thing to download and take into your school. Um, and so schools need to be shown that there's, there's another way. There is another view on this that they're not hearing about. And so they, I think schools just quite naively think this is, this is lovely, it's all about diversity and inclusion. And don't realize that actually um, there is another view and that um, it's a reasonable view. It's, a, it's not a bigoted view. It's not as, as we get painted as being the sort of religious right no it's not it's, it's it's ordinary people and it's it's just common sense that you, uh, you you know you show caution and you don't go around changing your policies that will put other children at risk and create safeguarding risks for all children 
Um, and you know, contact safe schools, see if there are other parents in your area, because that's the thing really, you need, a if, you, if you're together in a group of parents, you've got a lot more power. And you know, we've been seeing parents have really got power, so use it. There's a lot of people who, and parents who believe the same as you, a lot of people dare not speak out because they are painted as bigots. Well, that's perfectly concise. And uh, I do implore everybody to go to Transgender Trend and uh, donate and get a copy of that, that guidance. I think it's in particular the Equality Act guidance because that is so routinely misrepresented by these groups. So I was watching, just before I came and had this chat, I was flicking through YouTube and then this recommended video, I have no idea why it was recommended to me. It's two very handsome young men and um, I think they must be YouTube. Well, clearly they're YouTubers, it was on YouTube. And they were just about to sort of tell everybody about these terror, this terrible mental health and anxiety that they're suffering. And I just thought it's, it's vocabulary for this generation that didn't exist in mine. People didn't talk about being anxious. Like even my 10 year old used to say, I feel a bit anxious. Yeah. Um, and I don't know where it's come from. I don't, I don't genuinely think it's even real. I just think there's there's focuses on stuff that didn't used to happen. Uh, do you like you've been in around schools and children and that sort of thing a really long time? Do you do you have any idea where this has come from? Uh, well, actually, my my um, specialist subject is parenting culture and parenting advice books. I mean, I've written one, but it's, it doesn't mention the word parents in it because I don't like parenting advice books. Um, uh, so, so my book's called Communicating with Kids, and, and that's my area, really, what we communicate to kids and what they understand by it. Uh, so I've been working with parents for oh, over 20 years, and so I've heard everything. Um, and, and actually, it's, it's the context in which I put this new phenomenon, phenomenon of trans kids in, um, because I can see how it's happened in terms of there's a very child-centered parenting culture uh, which has been going on I think oh at least a couple of decades because it was there when my kids were born um, and it's it, what it says is a child is born whole um, a child is born in their um, full self and knows their their own self and the parents job is simply to facilitate the expression of that self. So there's your idea that ties into he knows he, or she he, she knows she's a girl um, you know she always has been and why parents think that four-year-olds knowing themselves you know which of course they do as four-year-olds um, means something you know because of course at five years old they will know themselves as something completely different you know the, the characteristic of childhood is change um so that's one thing and i um i think there there is it, it's almost political the parenting world because there is a backlash and it's a bit like left versus right the left-wing parents are all lovely and cuddly and listening to their children and the right-wing parents are disciplinarians and um and and the two groups um sort of um fight and, and think the other group is 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 wrong and bad 
but it's but it is very heavily child-centered and the problem with that is that we're giving an awful lot of responsibility to children we're not being mm. adults and i can see how um oh, and, it, and it's all focused on feelings and and this as i was working with parents i, I began to see this more clearly and more clearly as i as i went on that the question that parents now ask children, and this is advised to parents in parenting advice books, is, you know, if, if, they, if they come home from the playground and something awful's happened, the first question is, how did that make you feel? Or how did you feel about that? As if your feelings are the most important thing about this thing that happened in the playground. It's not what did you do or what happened next or it's how did you feel about it. So the message children are continually given is my feelings are the most important thing. And um, whereas I think we need to be talking to children with an expectation that they will get on with it despite those feelings. You know, that they're strong enough, they're tough enough, they're, you know, we know they can do it even though they feel like that. And we're giving them the opposite message. You're ruled by your feelings and your feelings. And, and I think that's why you see children, as children grow up, they begin to, oh, I don't feel like this, or this feels, and, and everything. I think it's really, really disempowering. So I think it, it does come from a, a sort of pairing, parenting advice industry that it's got its, really got it horribly wrong. Well, I often think, do those those people that do parenting advice shows, I think, do they actually have children? Because mm. often the advice is, you know, mm. if my child comes home uh, upset because something's happened at school, I want to know what they said. You know, if mm. I remember one of my children who will remain nameless come home and he said, oh, someone said this to me, it's really, really mean. And I said, what did you say? And he totally started it. <laughs> he totally said something really not knowing that it was an awful thing to say but he said something really awful to someone and they responded in kind and so <laughs> you know the the extent of that conversation is well if you don't want someone to say that to you you shouldn't say that to them and then we moved on because yeah. in a child's mind although social media i think is destructive to this yeah. but in, usually for children whatever's happened is over as soon as they've told you about it it's it's finished and it's oh, okay. us that then children live in the present moment only and and that that's why things are so important to them because it literally is the whole world in that moment and then the next moment they're skipping off happily and you're left with all the worries and the angst about it if you if you know unless you realize <laughs> children are luckier than us it's you know because they do they move from one moment of absolute distress and the world has ended to a moment of joy and happiness and not a care in the world. You know, we, we, should, we should be more like that. I wish I could be more like that. You know, but we, we adults carry things and, and lose sleep over things, but children don't. But yeah, we're very over-concerned and we're over-therapeutic in our response to our children. I think we are, parents have been encouraged to act um, as therapists to their children when, when, when actually there's nothing wrong. And the other thing is that children, that parents are encouraged or have been given the job of creating their children's self-esteem. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I don't know, I don't know about you, but but my my kids were born with bags of self-esteem. You know, they wouldn't have survived if they hadn't. You know, you get any baby 
who wants something, that baby is going to go all out to get it. And to think that they haven't, they've, they've somehow doubt their right to do that is, is crazy. You know, they, they, they have the self-esteem. We don't have to continually praise them and, you know, take care of them in order to create that self-esteem. We do, we end up doing the opposite. I think some parenting things have changed as well. Like um, my mother used, I, my mother would say something and I'd say why and she'd say, because I said so. And that mm. was enough. And mm. that was the responsibility wasn't then mine to work out whether or not she was right and whether or not I agreed and whether or not my yeah. feelings were yeah. okay. But we don't say, you know, in parenting books, it's like, don't say no or don't say um, lots of things to children that, that perhaps I think were good. That, that, that didn't burden children with with adult stuff yeah yeah i agree i think we give we, we 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 don't allow children to have a childhood we give them we negotiate we give them far too much responsibility which is our responsibility to take not theirs so we we think we're being kind and lovely and um and and we're not we do far too much explaining to little children um and every time we explain something we weaken our arguments and it gets more and more complicated but you know i, I think um we you know we, we, i think it's great that we listen to children more than we did when i was a child i think you know and, and you know there is a, a it's valid that some children were you know the death of a mother and a child was never told or you know, things were hidden from children um to to you know to a ridiculous extent and i think it's good that we recognize there are some aspects that we now recognize that that um that we should be listening a bit more or, or share you know with children more but it's gone to such um an extreme degree where really we've reversed the roles where the child is 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 you know we're sort of revolving around the child's needs all the time and that's not a healthy position for a child to be in. Mm. Well, childhood surely is the building blocks upon which we become adults. And mm. I just feel that we are, we're not giving them solid, resilient foundations because we are trying to sort of, we are trying to live their lives for them so they don't make any mistakes. But then if mm. you don't make any mistakes, you don't learn any lessons. Um, do you think that's, that's why we have the culture in universities that we do? Do you think that's partly to blame? I think it is. I think we are seeing it. I mean, there's a lot of factors. It's not just this, but I think it adds to the mix of why we we're seeing a generation that cannot brook any argument, that throws tantrums, that um, tries to silence anybody who doesn't agree with them. I, I think because what I, what I what I think about the parenting model that's being taught to parents is really we're treating our children as if they are unreasonable tyrants and if you you know we're, we're, we're tiptoeing around them we're asking them we're giving them loads of choices we're asking them what they want we're asking them how they feel um and if you treat a child like an unreasonable tyrant that's what they will become we th we overthank them if they do the slightest thing for us and then we wonder why they're saying, you know, that when they get to the teenage years and we ask them to do something and they'll say, well, what are you, what are you going to give me if, you, if I do? You know, we've, we've created that. We don't, we no longer seem to ex just expect courtesy and help and good manners. 
uh, as a, you know without rewarding our child or over praising them for doing it and i think so yes i do think it's part of, of it, it's in the mix of why this generation is so um wrapped up in their own feelings in their own um rights <laughs> and um uh and yes yes i think I, I can I, I I do see a connection there between um, some of the children I've seen and 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 their behaviour and the way they're treated by their parents and and and, and these older <laughs> children. They're like they're like adolescents. I often think that I mean I don't know what I was like when I went to university. I'm pretty sure I wasn't an adult, but I did have to have I did have to get a job. I did have to be somewhere at some time and. Um, I don't know, it's just, I feel like a really old lady talking about how it was so much better in my day. I well, yeah, got I, there. I think it is important to say that this is not the whole of this generation, that there are some brilliant young people. I mean, I, I you know, I know some, <laughs> you know, just amazing. And in some ways, you know, you can see, you know, in some ways I, I, I look at them and think, well, they're more, um, sorted in some ways than we were they they they're more mature in some ways um also you know some of them are it's really not black you know completely black and white and and i think we probably we see the um the, you know as in everything we see that we, we we see the ones with the uh, loudest voices uh, but i do think that that, that uh, the generation's not lost we you know there's, there's there's a lot of really really fantastic young people out there as well I agree. One such um, young lady was, oh, I'm going to forget her name, but she was in a nursing home. She was 17. And since the outbreak of coronavirus, she had moved in the nursing home. And then yeah. she made the news because she'd made a cushion with the face of somebody's deceased wife. He'd lost his wife the year before and she made a cushion for him. So we know, I mean, I've got nice kids, you know, we mm. know they exist. Mm. Um, uh, but I, I just on the school's reward thing uh, and the long term impact of that, I remember very infrequently and I was a, a very good student, like a very, certainly at primary and secondary school, I was an exceptional student. Um, but I would very occasionally get a star next to work, stuck in with sellotape. They were obviously so old that the glue didn't work or the teacher didn't like licking the back of them um, or a gold star if I was absolutely mind-blowing and the piece of work was the best thing I'd ever done mm. um, and that would be the extent of it it would probably happen maybe four times a year but it was so significant that you would just you would like skip home now every child gets star of the week every child there's even in one of my kids class if the children voted you their favorite pupil of the week you would get to sit on a special chair for the following mm. week now that popularity contest, I think, is just harmful enough. Um, yes. But this, this notion of high praise for very little, I think, has a really bad long-term lasting impact. It's as if we have absolutely no confidence in children at all, isn't it? If you, if you have to do that, you're showing that you, you, you really don't believe in children and their own common sense and goodness you've got you know it, it's it yeah the, the sort of over praising and the trying to protect children from any risk or sense of failure 
um, that it, it's how we learn and it, it's it's a sad thing perhaps that we learn best from our mistakes and our failures and and um that goes on right through life i found <laughs> unfortunately um but it's you know it's it's what makes us we have to go through difficult things so that we know we we learn inner resources on how you know how to deal with those things how to deal with those feelings that we've mm. lost the place um or we failed in something or, um otherwise we're not we're not we're not going to go grow up and be robust in any in any way at all we're going to be so easily knocked yeah i mean i've um i did it i've started a small podcast series called resisting adolescence um to move on to the trans whole trans child uh topic and susan evans uh, came up with something that I hadn't really thought about that actually even affirmation of child a child making a social change something happens with the trust with the parents sort of leading the way because you've then answered the child and whatever happens if you miss out three years of your childhood pretending to be something else then those those sorts of things you can never get back so you instantly lose something in your your growing up um can you can you expect do you agree with that can you expand on that yeah i always think that if because it, this this is always painted as being kind as being nice and um um being supportive and i always think if you are giving something to somebody what are you taking away because you have to consider everything on that you know is it, is it like if i'm being inclusive who am i excluding you have to consider always because it's never going to be um, a, a, as, as clear cut and as simple as that. So if I give somebody help, I might be taking away their own ability to help themselves. Uh, and particularly with, with children, you have to be very, very careful not to overhelp them and <laughs> take away that ability for them to help themselves. But yeah, the thing about missing out, I mean, I hear this, I hear this a lot. And it, of course, we're talking about, we're talking about children as if they are things. Um, but we're all complex human beings. If you have lived three years of your childhood as the opposite sex, and then you grow out of it and you look back, you've got a blank there that you've been you haven't been who who you really are you've got three years worth of photographs that you think that's not me and you've got three years of people it, it's just it, it's sort of way beyond anything else we've ever done to children i can't think of anything that um it comes close to this but we're not looking at children we're not looking at the psychological emotional um, aspects of their of children's development at all we're saying oh well, because it doesn't physically we're saying social transition is fine because it doesn't do anything physical to them doesn't psych psychologically it's massive it's absolutely huge what we're doing psychologically to children by treating them as if they are literally the opposite sex it's a massive yeah, experiment yeah. we've never ever ever mm -hmm. done this before to little children ever even even and i'm talking about you know 
of course there is a, a history of children going to gender clinics very very few but there is a history of this of children developing what's called now gender dysphoria and they either grow out of it or some persist but but throughout all of that we have never told a boy that he is literally a girl we've we've never done that you know and we haven't we haven't thought of it in that way we've thought of it the outcomes for a tiny percentage of these children is that they will become transsexual adults possibly but that's the least likely outcome and the bigger possibility is that that child and it's about 60% possibility they will be gay. It's about 50-50 with girls, whether they would become lesbian or, or just, or, you know, possibly a feminist or non-conforming, or possibly they will become quite conforming. We don't know, but they, certainly um, the outcomes, the, the, the least likely outcome is that they will become transsexual as adults. And... Um, and that's how we viewed it because they were children we looked in terms of outcome and transsexual as being an outcome not a state of childhood it's um it's just a little bit mind-blowing like i i know that you're a fantastic support for parents and and you have been for a really long time but i i don't get how we i don't understand how parents went down this road i mean perhaps it is at the start of parenting advice books that uh this child-centered approach I, I think there's a huge variety of parents here i think um i mean i i remember when my kids were little i don't know if you remember the phase of indigo kids do you remember that you see i see no. trans kids as, as part of a indigo kids were the kids who had very special spiritual powers who'd sort of come from a, another planet do you, don't, you not remember indigo kids look at google it and, and and you knew you know school where i worked you sort of knew the parents who would have indigo kids i think before that it would be parents who would claim my child has an old soul you know it would be, so you've got various parents who are so heavily invested sort of ego wise in their child being very very special uh, so that's one you've got other parents who are i think sort of what, what I see is just ordinary parents um, who have been given the wrong information and they have thought that the information they're getting is um, professional and evidence. They've assumed that it's evidence-backed and, and researched and that their child literally does have something different in their brain that has met, made them end up a girl in a boy's body. And, but, but I do think that the parenting culture has added to that. So we've got a child who's born with a fully developed sense of self, and we've got a massively um, extreme gendered um, uh, childhood industry going on. Again, that's developed really over the last two decades where everything is split into pink and blue and um, Lego changed, Kinder Eggs became pink and blue, everything became pink and blue. Your boys have trucks, girls have dolls and no child can move between those without changing sex. So I, I think, so, and I, I think there's a, a, that sort of toy, that's right, so the, the toy industry, clothes, shoes, books, everything for kids 
is split along those lines. And I think that um, uh, sort of conditions parents as well. I don't think we're immune to that. I think children are absolutely um, um, indoctrinated by that in our, our culture, but I don't think parents are immune to it either. I think parents were, oh, she'll love this. It's lovely, it's pretty, it's pink. All my daughter will love us. All my son will love us. And parents, it takes effort to go against it. If it is, something is prevailing and it goes without saying and it's all there, uh, it's easy to go along with it without even realizing. Whereas it's a lot harder to go against it and every time you see a product you stop and think so i think i think um that extreme gendered um stereotyped uh, childhood culture um means that a girl is has developed a girl is, is is a person who loves pretty pink things and um and homemaking and uh a child is born with a fully developed sense of self so if you've got the girl who likes the trucks and the blue things, well, she knows who she is. And, uh, you know, I think those two things that have really, you know, I think those two things come together to create that situation. Um, I think we have lots more stuff now as well. Like yes. children are advertised to. I don't know when yeah. that started to happen, but children are advertised to. And so then they become then they are you know it's targeted i mean mermaids uh, targeted children in the middle of a minecraft video on youtube so that they you know just that aside but um when i was a little girl i was i went through my kids clothes the other day so my 11 year old he's grown about four inches since lockdown he suddenly had a growth spurt and so i got rid of a load of his clothes and i think he's got 10 times the amount of items of clothing that i ever had like I didn't have very many clothes. I had very special, not very many toys. Um, I'm guessing toys were more expensive, which is, you know, per household. Mm. Whereas now you can, you can buy loads of pink plastic, like relatively cheap. I just... Yeah, uh, on that point, actually, the, the marketing of, of, of this, you know, extreme gender stereotypes in childhood, if you look at them, what I think of as, as the marketing of the trans lobby, it fits completely. It's a baby pastel pink and blue. Who's that for? That that's that's the nursery. They're nursery colours. Um, the the gender unicorn that looks like My Little Pony. You know, it's real. Um, and 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 the glitter and the rainbows. It's it, it, all of the. You know, it's all directed at children and it fits very neatly into the childhood marketing of, of the extreme stereotypes that we have in our culture now. So it fits in very smoothly that we wouldn't, that we don't even notice that that's mm. actually really, really out of place. Yeah, it's... um. It's so very sinister, I think, like the gingerbread, there's a gingerbread person gingerbread or something person. as well. Mm. But it, <laughs> my mm. mind goes to the most sinister practices when I think of that, because uh, frankly, eventually nothing else makes sense. That why it's marketed towards children, why children are being groomed into this extreme gender ideology. Um, only the most sinister things actually makes sense eventually uh but i'm told i've got a 
I've got an advisor who keeps telling me people aren't that evil. It's just lots and lots of bad thinking and accidental kind of maneuvers, but I'm not convinced. I, uh, yeah, well, it's, it's, you, you sort of, you don't want to get into the area of, of conspiracy theories. And I think often um, it is a combination of things that I think there are some people who are part of this who, you know, uh, who are not very good people. Um, and I think there's an awful lot of enablers who, who perhaps just don't think it through very much and, and think they're doing the right, genuinely, genuinely think they're doing the right thing. I think that there are those who are very cynical, who know that there's um, there's harms being done, but it's for the greater good, or you know, the political reasons. I think there's an awful lot that has come together um, globally um, to make to, to enable this this situation. Mm. I think there's, there's there's one sort of set of evil people pulling the strings, but I think there's. You know, there's a lot of people who have enabled it for different reasons and have come together at the same time. Yeah. I mean, I can't think anything well. I don't believe that anybody doing um, double uh, mastectomies on teenage girls, I can't think that they think that they're doing a good thing. I don't, I think in the still of the night, in the silence when you're awake, I don't think those people can possibly believe that they're doing a good thing um it's a terrible thing to do to a young woman and i i knew somebody who was doing that job um and um in a in a private hospital and it was taking such a toll on her and she said we've got so many of these young women and we have to remember to call them they and them so all these so-called non-binary young women having double mastectomies and the, you know, the, which they really, you know, really wanted as, you know, um, and, um, and the dilemma it caused for this person that I knew that I, I try not to give too much away, but was, was working in that area was awful. The toll it took on her. I just don't, I just don't know if I could, I don't know. I don't. I, I can't I know, get past the harm. Yeah, yeah, I know. Well, it, f for me too. But you know, there are people working in this area who have their jobs, who have their instructions, who have to take part, and and then the questions. You know, if if, if you're a thinking person, just as a clinicians at the Tavistock who resigned. I mean, at some point, you you think, no, this is harm, and I can't carry on doing it. Um, yeah, so I think I think there are there are good people involved who are having to face similar questions as as, yeah. as stock clinician. Well, I was all excited with the pandemic. I mean, not excited really, because it's obviously a terrible thing. <laughs> people have lost their lives. So let me rephrase. I thought a positive side effect of this pandemic might be the extraction of wokeness or um, this gender stuff from schools. I, I really was like, well, they're not going to have any time for this because um, the kids are going to need to catch up with six months of maths and English and geography and, and everything and catch up with the GCSEs. So maybe that will be a plus side. And then obviously what your report highlights is that sex and relationship education is compulsory and it's coming. 
And part of that is a push from the likes of Stonewall, gender intelligence, the toolkit, and, and so on. Um, so you're probably wiser than me, and you, you're, <laughs> you knew that this wasn't going to be uh, such a victory. But, well, no, I think, um, I, I, and on that point, before I forget, perhaps I should have said it before, but we have a report, and it's going to be, I, I, it's our, our latest printed, it is being printed, um, hasn't been yet, but it's, I think I'm going to launch it next week, but it's a full report on external providers of sex education in schools, and it's horrific re reading. It's, um, so it's for parents, again, for parents to take into schools to show them the material that's actually being, um, I think, so, so LGBT groups and sex positive groups are, have, are taking the opportunity through the new RSE curriculum to offer their sex education and this, uh, and, and, and so the report is all of the um, material that I could find that was that was publicly available. I mean, I did try and get get things. I did write to people and try and get things that weren't published, but didn't have much luck. But so it's 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 uh, it's publicly available um, teaching resources. So you'll be horrified at what. But I think with um, it's sort of LGBT inclusion has has opened the door to queer and queer theory and queer culture that I think is going in a very you know I mean I know people people have different um, um, uh, reactions to that word queer some people accept it but I think there's a very um, um, there's a part of the culture that's being brought into schools which is not appropriate for schools and not appropriate for children and it is being brought in through this through the door of the relationships and sex education but it's also lgbt inclusive means gender neutral language so it means you know uterus havers and menstruators and and people with penises so all you know all of it, it excludes it excludes sex in favour of gender identity. Well, um, I, I did um, watch sorry. out next week. I think I'll launch. Brilliant. Well, I did. I talked to some of my um, audience a couple of nights ago about Peter Tatchell is a patron of um, Educate and Celebrate, and Educate and Celebrate were the organisation that went into a school, Bewsley Primary, I think it was and on the website as part of this kind of lgbt primary school lgbt inclusion stuff was the expression love has no race love has no gender love has no age and mm. i have absolutely no doubts in my mind that whilst this particular trojan horse um this particular uh, movement isn't at the behest of very undesirable people. I think very undesirable people can totally exploit and take advantage of the safeguarding being eroded in schools. I think we we just need to look at material that that erases all sexual boundaries. You know, and, and that's enough. We, we, we don't have to actually go any further than that to say that's not right. And of course, yes, it, it does as you say it, it it takes down the boundaries um it makes makes boundary boundaries between the sexes you know the most basic boundary between the sexes is no longer allowed so 
that opens the door to you know whatever else but that's that first point that we have to look at and say no that is wrong you can't you can't teach and put in policies in schools that means that you cannot have a boundary between the sexes or even recognize that there is a, a distinction between the sexes well i've heard i've listened to a um webinar that was set up by uh it was a legal webinar set up by by lawyers to tell people how to fight lgbt laws globally and they referred to the yogi yogi carter principles on numerous occasions and soggy so s-o-g-i sexual orientation and, and gender identity and i can't tell you how frightening i i find that uh, to finish on a positive though stephanie i think from recent um comments from the government that they definitely don't I, I feel a little more secure that right at the top that people are not going along with this um what more do you think the government need to do to reassure parents that we are not going to be indoctrinating kids in the schools what would you like to see from them i'd like to see um the government look really look at where um stonewall has and and this ideology has captured um government departments so the um the, the idea that the hrc the g the government equalities office department for education stonewall champions that now that that must end and the, this government i think must take a really firm stand on saying that's not acceptable because that's that creates you know these uh, particularly the, the the ehrc their civil servants they're supposed to be absolutely totally impartial and explain equality law to the rest of us um so i think that would be a, a, a huge um act from government and i think that is the important thing that has to start actually right right from the start and then um i think as liz trust has already done to reassure us that they are looking at what has gone before and reassessing it. Um, I think that Liz Truss is a politician that will go very much on the results of the GRA consultation. I think what she, I suspect that what she has found is that there is an overwhelming public opposition to self ID policies um, and that um i think what we need more courage in all politicians all mps to listen to their constituents and not just listen to one side that has been lobbying for years but listen to ordinary people and the practical effects and impacts on our lives and not just bob us off with inclusion and diversity so yeah, I think I think it's very uh, promising and what we've heard so far from this government um, and I, I think there is an understanding that we haven't seen before. On the issue. I agree. Yeah, I agree. And uh, in no small part, uh, obviously Fair Play got hundreds uh, of thousands of women to sign. I absolutely think it's down, it's down to Fair Play that the GRA consultation results, I think, are already known, they haven't been published yet, but they're known, and that's down to fair play. And all the women all over the country who came out to uh, talk to ordinary people, 
you know, fantastic. massive group of, of people, well, men and women, actually, both. But, and, uh, but yeah, thanks to Fair Play for organising that. <laughs> and on behalf of all of us, thank you for your often thankless, uh, enormous work, uh, body of work that you do. I know that when many of us are sort of spending family time, you're taking calls and writing reports and just um, have been doing this often on your own, but certainly just a ridiculous amount of work. And it's thanks to you that we even know anything about sort of this stuff in schools. So thank you very much. And thank you for coming on today. Thank you. And a quick reminder, don't forget to like, share and subscribe. Thanks for listening.